it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It is Friday, December 9th, 2022. I'm Guy Benson. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, happy Friday. Welcome into the Guy Benson Show from New York City. One more day this week before I head home this weekend. Very glad to have you here. 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern every weekday. Then around the clock for free on demand on our podcast. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. That's GuyBensonShow.com. You can also locate the podcast at FoxNewsPodcast.com or wherever you get your podcast. We, of course, recommend listening live for the full three hours as we air. Many ways to do that. Fox Nation. The live stream, website, the app, our great affiliates across the country, partners like odyssey.com, A-U-D-A-C-Y.com. You have choices, and as long as it gets you here, we're cool with it. Here's our lineup today. Larry Kudlow will be here later on this hour. We're doing like a little home and home, like they call it in sports. He's here on the radio this hour. I'll be on TV next hour with him. Brian Riedel will also be here next hour, as will Peter Ducey. White House correspondent at Fox News. Always a lot to chat with him about. He's had a few uh, rhetorical punch-ups with the White House, and we'll ask him about those. And then it is Friday, so we welcome back Cat Timp for Fridays with Cat. So much to get to. Also, some audio that I'll play for you later in the show of a witness before a congressional committee getting absolutely destroyed in a way that's almost painful to listen to even though I'm glad it's happening. You will have to hear it for yourself coming up later on today's show. We open with some interesting and intriguing news out of the world of American politics with an eye toward 2024 and those elections. In the United States Senate, as we've talked about, the Democrats have now gained a 51 to 49 edge heading into the next Congress, a slight majority building on their 50-50 plus tiebreaker majority, but it's getting a little bit more complicated because one of their members, one of the Democratic senators, has now announced that she is leaving the Democratic Party. Now, it's not quite the earthquake that that might sound like because it's not like she will be joining the Republican Party, but Kirsten Sinema of Arizona has officially decided to become an independent. She put out an op-ed in USA Today explaining her reasons. She also put out a video really touching on many of those same themes, explaining her reasons for why she is changing her partisan voting affiliation from Democrat to independent out there in Arizona. Here's what she said in this video, cut 23. I promised them I would be an independent voice for our state. I promise that I would always do what is right for the people of Arizona. And that's what I've done. Registering as an independent and showing up to work with the title of independent is a reflection of who I've always been. And it's a reflection of who Arizona is. It's a reflection of the folks 
that I talk to at the grocery store, hear from at the park. It's who we are as a people. We don't line up to do what we're told. We do what's right for our state and for our country. I'm going to be the same person I've always been. That's, that's who I am. I'm going to show up to work. I'm going to do my best for Arizona. I'm going to continue to deliver results for everyday people. Nothing's going to change for me. And I don't think anything's going to change for Arizona. And I think Arizonans across the state are going to say, yeah, that's the Kirsten we elected. That's who we sent to D.C. And she's doing exactly what we asked her to do. And there's nothing that Arizonans deserve more than a senator who gets stuff done. In an interview with CNN, Cinema explained further that she feels like she doesn't quite fit in with either party. Cut 20. I know some people might be a little bit surprised by this, but actually, I think it makes a lot of sense. You know, a growing number of Arizonans and people like me just don't feel like we fit neatly into one party's box or the other. She went on and cut 21. What I think is important about this decision and, and this move is that I'll be able to show up to work every day as an independent and not be, you know, stuck into one party's demands of following without thinking. You know, removing myself from the partisan structure, not only is it true to who I am and how I operate, I also think it'll provide a place of belonging for many folks across the state and the country who also are tired of the partisanship. Okay, so what's actually going on here? Let's explain. First of all, I think that it's important to note that she would be the third, quote unquote, independent in the Democratic caucus. And she's saying, yes, she's going to remain caucused with the Democrats. She's not going to show up to their strategy meetings or their messaging meetings as she hasn't in the past. She's sort of breaking free from that, but she is still caucusing with, for the purposes of the majority, and committee assignments, the Democrats. She is not defecting to the other side. She is just changing her partisan affiliation for a specific reason that I'll get into, get into in a second. But she's the third Democrat in the Senate who technically now isn't a Democrat. Bernie Sanders is one, socialist from Vermont. He's technically an independent. Angus King of Maine, technically an independent. Although let me ask you about those two guys. You hear a lot from Bernie. He talks a lot. Angus King, you don't hear as much from. When was the last time Bernie Sanders or Angus King voted against the Democrats on anything that really mattered? Are you stumped? Because I am. Never. They can call themselves independents, but they're not. They are rank and file, reliable Democrat voters in the Senate. Bernie, I think, calls himself an independent because he's, you know, wacko out there on the left. Angus King, I honestly don't understand. Like, every single thing he says and believes is just what the Democrats do. It's just a weird thing. Maybe he feels like that's what he needs for his brand in Maine. But they are very, very reliable. And actually, so is Kirsten Cinema for the Democrats in a lot of ways. She is progressive, much more progressive than Joe Manchin, for instance. As an aside, looks like Joe Manchin, remember that special deal he got on permitting reform? In order to woo him over and announce the big deal on the so-called Inflation Reduction Act that's doubling the IRS and all of that. We'll talk more about that later, I think, with Larry Kudlow when we have him here later in the hour. I want to ask him about it. But the way that they got him was, don't worry, you sign on to this spending bill now. We're going to give you something you want later. It looks like he got screwed on that. Looks like that's not going to happen, which is what we predicted. 
It's not over. It's not dead and buried. But it looks like Joe Manchin got suckered. And so that's interesting. He's going to be up for re-election, maybe as a Democrat. Maybe he won't run. Maybe, but we'll see. But he's up in 2024. Kirsten Cinema is an independent thinker. She is not automatically going to march with the Democrats on everything, but almost everything. She didn't want to go quite as far as most of them did on Build Back Better. $5 trillion of spending that the House passed almost unanimously among Democrats only, partisan bill. Thank goodness for Manchin and Cinema who said no, because inflation would have been even worse if they had gotten their way. By they, I mean the broad majority of the Democrats, the Biden administration on Build Back Better. Cinema said no to that. And you'll remember the backlash that she got. Activists chasing her into bathrooms, filming her, harassing her. She went to a wedding of a close friend and they went and disrupted the wedding that she was just a guest at. The bride's mother begging them to not ruin her daughter's wedding. They did anyway. And maybe Kirsten started to feel like "Eh, maybe this party isn't for me. Given the way that the base was treating her for one apostasy, one hesitation to spend a trillions more dollars that we don't have because she was worried about, among other things, inflation. She and Manchin were right about that. Wrong about so many other things. And if you look at the scorecard, she's a pretty loyal partisan Democrat in most ways, but not loyal enough. And so that brings us to the actual reason for this. I think Kirsten Cinema has polling data or focus group stuff or information that a primary challenge coming her way for 2024 was not only likely, but had a good chance of succeeding. She was going to be in for a bruising primary election just to keep her name on the ballot as the Democrat running for Senate in 2024 in that state. There's a guy, I think it's Congressman, is it Gallego, who's been talking about running against her. Progressives across the country are eager to defeat her. They want to punish her so badly. So she knew, and I think she probably has even more insight than we do into the actual specifics, if she were to run as a Democrat for re-election, she might not get the nomination again because the left is out to get her. And you look at her polling numbers in the state, among Democrats in particular, bad. Across the board, not bad because of independents and Republicans, actually, but the Democrats really loathe her out there now. They want a complete rubber stamp like Mark Kelly, who just got reelected because the Republicans... I think let that one slip away. So cinema has decided rather than get bloodied and bruised during a whole primary process, even if I win, I'll be really heavily damaged. I'm just going to not play the game at all. I'm going to declare my independence now. I will run for re-election as an independent, and I'm just going to rip off that Band-Aid, develop my voting record as I see fit for the next two years, and then run for re-election as an independent. They can't primary me. They can nominate someone else over there. I'm going to stick to my sort of centrist thing. And I guess she believes that that is a coalition that she can cobble together and win re-election that route in 2024. Now, I'll say this. I am skeptical that this is going to work out well for the Democrats or for her. Maybe she's taking a risk and rolling the dice. She maybe says, I'd rather 
take my chances this way than, than going a different direction on this thing. But let me just throw this out there. In 2010, now in fairness, that was a wave year, a non-presidential midterm wave, red wave. Marco Rubio became the Republican nominee for Senate in Florida, beating Charlie Crist, a guy that we've been talking about a lot recently because he just got crushed by Ron DeSantis trying to run for governor again. I think it was his third time running for governor or statewide office. The guy just constantly runs for everything. So Rubio beat Charlie Crist in the Republican primary. Crist splintered off and became an independent. Then the Democrats had their nominee as well. Split three ways. Rubio won roughly 49% of the vote. The other two split the non-Rubio vote, and Rubio cruised and became a senator. That could very well be a preview of what we might see in 2024 in Arizona. Because if the Republicans, and listen to me, if the Republicans in Arizona can stop being self-destructive and being crazy and go back to the days where they nominated people who were palatable to that electorate, which still remains actually pretty Republican, just not a certain kind of Republican. Right? The, the state keeps getting purpler, and the Arizona Republican Party keeps getting crazier. And that's why Democrats now, Joe Biden won the state. They have two Democratic senators and now a Democrat governor coming in. It's a red state that the Democrats have been sweeping Not because everyone in Arizona became a liberal, but because the Republicans are not giving that electorate what it clearly wants, which is a traditional style Republican. Doug Ducey, the current governor, conservative. In the midterm blue wave election of 2018, he won re-election as a conservative in Arizona four years ago by 14 points in a blue year. 14 points. That's the type of guy who, by the way, should have hopefully been the nominee this time around. Trump chased him off. If they have a brain in their skulls collectively, and if Ducey is not scared off by Trump attacks and criticism and elements of the party that hate him, they would nominate Doug Ducey to be their Senate candidate in two years. I think Doug Ducey could win a straight-up head-to-head against whoever the Democrats put up, even if Sinema hadn't done this independent thing. But especially if you have the center-center-left and left-wing vote split, and a guy like Doug Ducey, a popular governor right now, a traditional conservative as the Republican, that could conceivably be an easy win and a pickup for the Republicans in 2024, if they want to win the Senate back, if you want the path of least resistance to winning back the Senate, you got to beat Joe Manchin, which these days I think is looking easier and easier, and nominate Doug Ducey and have him run against a splintered and angry Democratic slash independent faction in Arizona. You would have Senator Doug Ducey and a Republican majority in the U.S. Senate. The path would be simple. I think the path just got easier based on what Kirsten Cinema has decided to do. I think it's a big gamble by her. Maybe it pays off, especially if the Republicans put their foot in it again. But if they learn just a little tiny lesson from what we just saw this year in this cycle, I think overall this could be a very good development for Republicans in Arizona and nationally. That's how I'm reading this. Long way to go. Things could change. 
but my initial instinct and analysis is what I just told you. Interesting stuff. Never a dull moment in American politics. We've got you covered here on The Guy Benson Show. Just getting started. It is Friday. Stay tuned. Guy Benson will be right back. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com. Back on the Guy Benson Show, I'm Guy Benson. Some breaking news here. We can Fox News alert it if we want to. Federal court has blocked the Biden administration's mandate trying to force religious hospitals to facilitate gender transitions. A federal court on Friday blocked a Biden administration mandate that would require religious hospitals and doctors to facilitate gender transitions against their own sincerely held moral convictions. The Eighth Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals affirmed a lower court's decision to block enforcement of the rule on the grounds that, quote, intrusion upon the Catholic plaintiff's exercise of religion is insufficient or rather is sufficient to show irreparable harm. That's according to the filing. Catholic nuns, clinics, a university and hospitals were among the plaintiffs in the case represented by the Beckett Fund. This is all according to National Review. The plaintiffs all provide medical care for transgender patients but refuse to provide gender transition surgeries because they believe them to be harmful. I mean, it's so interesting how people on the left so often accuse conservatives of trying to impose their values on other people, like on abortion. Oh, don't impose your values on other folks. Well, it comes down to do you believe an unborn child is a life or not, then we can have that conversation. But the left does this in the culture wars all the time. They love imposing their values coercively through mandates where they make it illegal for you to operate like a hospital or as a doctor, as a practicing religious person, if you don't want to perform abortions in some cases, or in this circumstance, if you don't want to engage in a gender transition sex chain surgeries. Where like these Catholic hospitals are saying, of course we will treat transgender people. We won't do those surgeries. The Biden administration tried to force them to do it. And for now, they're losing in court, but that's something that this moderate administration, quote-unquote, tried to do. They've also tried to mandate this for kids as well. Just the moderate Joe Biden administration at work getting slapped down by the courts again. We'll see if this one sticks. Larry Kudlow coming up next. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. We continue. It's the Guy Benson Show on this Friday. Thank you for listening. And with me here in studio in New York is Larry Kudlow, host of Kudlow on Fox Business Network every day at 4 p.m. Eastern. I'll be on the show later on this afternoon. He is the former director of the National Economic Council under President 
Trump and Larry. It's great to see you. Merry Christmas. Thank you, Guy. Likewise. All right, let's talk about the inflation numbers that came out today. I know some people, a lot of folks, were anticipating better, more promising numbers than we got, and it's kind of like another stubborn, tough miss. Well, that's right, actually. Um, Came in higher than expected. Wholesale prices, so-called producer prices, up 7.4% now the last 12 months. So that's still a very high number. The Fed's target, mind you, is 2 So the CPI for October was 7.7. We'll get a new CPI next week. The PPI is running at 7.4. Actually, Worse than expected, right? They were expecting it to come down lower. And actually, uh, the old methodology for wholesale prices is showing 10.6%. These are very weird numbers, uh, and even excluding food and energy, 8%. So here, bottom line, it's not good. All the tightening by the Fed, which is damaging the economy and is surely going to lead us into recession next year. We may be in a recession already. Uh, So far has not worked very well. There is some inflation relief, but not much. So before we get to recession, sticking with inflation, would the Fed have to clamp down harder and tighter and make it more painful if they're not actually getting this thing under control, if they're not – suppressing the economy, which is what, unfortunately, they have to do here to kill inflation, if it's not killing it fast enough and is still weaker than expected, at least the outcomes that they're looking for, then what? So step back for one moment. It would be great under really good economic policies to open the oil and gas spigots to make the Trump tax cuts permanent. By the way, some of that stuff expires January 1st, and to stop the regulatory war against business. But they're not going to do that. Supply-side policies would reduce inflation by increasing growth and productivity. Yeah, but, I mean, there's no chance, right? You've got to that is, Biden in the White House, Democratic Senate. There's just— I just thought I'd contrast. It's no, Christmas. I, <laughs> it's free markets versus socialism. I just thought I'd throw that in. No, you're going to get the solutions in there, to, which is fine. To your point, <laughs> which is accurate, okay— uh, the Fed will have to raise their target rate another 50 basis points. But here's where Wall Street uh, and the stock market is at risk. There's a view that the Fed's going to slow down or stop. And I don't share that view. And the number like you got today shows there's no reason for that view. Inflation is very sticky. And you have wages going up because prices are going up. The workforce wants to get paid in real dollars right now. They're losing so I think the battle's going to continue. The battle against inflation is going to continue all the way through next year. Oh. I just want to make that point. There is no, there's never been a magic bullet here. Uh, Wall Street, you know, I worked there 20 years ago, 25 years ago, likes to put on a happy face. And I myself like to be optimistic. Yeah, you're usually. But we're going to have to go through this. Pretty the mistakes were made. You know, 18, 20 months ago, the mistake, too much federal spending, too many uh, welfare, unemployment, no workfare requirements. Oh, just flooding the economy with money. Trillions. Money. That is correct. Roughly $5 trillion. The Fed's trying to mop it up. And the Fed participated in that because they accommodated the fiscal uh, uh, splurging. So it's a problem. And um I know it's we're coming into Christmas, and I want people to be happy. 
uh, deep prayer and meditation will be very helpful in this situation. Yeah, I think that's probably right. And I want to come back to the Democrats' policies momentarily, but going in order here, inflation and now the R-word recession. I've now asked this question of a few different people on the show. I hear CEOs on TV coming on and giving different vantage points and Mm -hmm. different assessments. Some are saying, look, there's a real problem here. We're going to have a recession. I think it was Jamie Dimon again talking about, you know, economic hurricanes coming, gathering. The storm clouds are gathering. Then you add other folks I saw out there, smart people, looking at a lot of data saying, yeah, probably a recession is coming, but it might be like the last one, shallow and brief. And then it was United CEO, United Airlines, who I think went on national TV and said, based on their data in terms of air travel and and consumer patterns, he said that word recession wouldn't even be in my vocabulary if I didn't see it in the news all the time. It's not in our data. What do you make of that? That's that's sort of like a a scatter plot. Yeah, it depends, you know, what industry, because uh, the airline guy's right. Um, The numbers show very strong. Uh, airplane, you know, tickets demand, travel is strong. People are eating up their savings, but there's a lot of travel going on. Uh, leisure and travel are probably the best parts. However, you're reading almost daily layoffs in the technology sector, layoffs in the social media sector, not just Twitter, but Facebook, uh, Apple, Google also. Um, technology in general is laying off. Uh, you look at the numbers, some of these models that I like to use, market-based models, uh, I don't like to get into the weeds, but in the treasury market, the so-called yield curve, short-term rates like the three-month T-bill are much higher than long-term rates, the 10-year T-bond, much higher. Which means what? It means uh, recession. Uh, there's at least a 50% chance of a recession next year based on yield curve models. And I'll tell you another thing, um, an old-fashioned one, you know, I'm an old guy, I use old-fashioned indicators. The conference board's index of leading indicators, very good, an old business uh, planning tool has been crashing. And so that has uh, recession written all over it too. And of course, the bankers are seeing it because loan demand is very soft. Jamie Dimon has been warning about this too. So, look, I I don't want to be the Scrooge here. I'm just saying a dose of realism. When you make bad mistakes, unfortunately, in the economy, you pay for it. And um, we're going through that right now. Now, you're usually the Scrooge at the end of the Christmas Carol, who's just all of a sudden wonderful and happy. But not right now. You're looking at the numbers. You're concerned. A lot of people are, too. Sandra Smith was talking about sort of these surveys of CEOs with their overall sentiment souring. Yeah. We also saw a report of more and more Americans now dipping into their 401ks, which is hugely costly, a big taxable event, deeply penalized, but people are doing it anyway because they've already been living paycheck to paycheck. I got one for you. Fred Smith, who was the founder and longtime CEO and chairman of FedEx, mm-hmm. right? FedEx is everything. Fred Smith, very pessimistic. And well, and Amazon, which also has its hands in everything, on, they're came, laying off people. Yeah, I mean, Fred came on our show mm, four, five, six weeks ago and laid it out. And then he spoke to a group of people at a dinner, the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. And he has a, you know, FedEx is a bird's eye view. I, I, so I'm just saying, I'm just trying to be realistic. Look, you have some hope here, uh, politically, policy-wise, you're going to get a new Republican-led House 
Uh, I don't know if you saw Phil Graham, Senator Phil Graham's piece in the journal yesterday. It was a terrific piece. They have a great opportunity to stop the spending and stop the regulating and stop the taxing and stop the war against fossil fuels. And the cavalry is coming, just a smaller cavalry than people were hoping for. I call it a platoon. (laughs) (laughs) One more point that I want to make on policies. Yep. And I know you've been watching this closely, and we've made this point as well. I just want to keep hammering it home so people remember this because it is pernicious stuff. There's a flurry of stories about how Americans have to start being careful about their Venmo payments to each other, a couple hundred dollars here or there, because the Democrats have passed two major pieces of legislation under Biden, two signature accomplishments, the so-called rescue plan, which we said was bad and wasteful for all sorts of reasons, which, among many other things, lowered that threshold to $600 in terms of transactions that the IRS could come in and look at, right? They, they lowered that threshold, which would then affect a lot of middle-class people, working-class people. That was one of their money grabs to help pay for all those trillions of dollars, a lot of which is unpaid for. Then you fast-forward whatever, a year plus, and we got the so-called Inflation Reduction Act, which doubled the size of the IRS mm putting a lot more agents out there to then start enforcing this stuff that's going to impact non-millionaires and billionaires. The Democrats made all these promises about what their plans would do and not do to average people. And coming soon, folks have to be a lot more worried about the IRS breathing down their neck for small amounts of money than they did previously. And the Democrats did that completely on their own without a single Republican vote. From 20000 to $600. Okay, that that's what the payment regulation is going to be. And that's an amazing thing. And uh, all these new IRS agents are going to go after that. So you figure, okay, so, you know, if you're doing this stuff on PayPal, you're in the gig economy, you're driving a car, uh, you're doing stuff uh, on the Internet, you're selling stuff. Uh, you, you you buy a, a $500 used couch or you sell a $500 used couch. Now you have to report it. Okay which is a pain in the neck for everybody. So I ask you, well, you're, do millionaires worry about this? No. No. Do people making maybe 75, 80, 150,000? Yes. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that are going to get hit by these regulations. And you might say it's a pain in the neck, but do you really have to do it? Well, if you, you have a, do it. a doubled IRS, oh, yeah. guess who they're it. coming after? So, I mean, and they lied about that, right? They tried to say this is all right-wing talking points. It's not really true. It is true. And people are going to learn it the hard way. And sometimes, maybe sometimes conservatives are right. A lot of sometimes the times conservatives have the story right. Yeah, a lot of the time. What do you want to talk about this afternoon? You're, you're my star on the show. Oh, what boy. do you want to talk about? Whatever you want. Larry. What are you hot for? You wrote a great immigration column. We could talk about immigration. We Kirsten's, could talk about Kirsten Cinema's trying to sure. flirt with we don't know what exactly. We could talk about Kirsten Cinema. Right. I know her a little bit. Yeah. All right. So we talked about it to start the show. So Everybody should know. You throw it at me. Everybody should know that Guy Benson is the star of the Cudlow show today. <laughs> All right. Well, Here, I love on that. radio, nationwide. We love to hear it. I'll see you next hour on Cudlow FBN. Great to see you, Larry. Thank you, Guy. All right. Talk to you very soon, and we'll be right back. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. We're back. Thanks for listening. We spoke yesterday at some length about this prisoner swap between the United States, the Biden administration, and Vladimir Putin's Russia. And we tried to have a fairly thoughtful, nuanced discussion about it because... It's not actually just cut and dried either way. 
I was watching, I was at the gym yesterday, and I had ESPN on, and they were covering this in a not terribly nuanced way. At least the segment that I saw, it was like a panel of people gushing about how great this was and how important. I saw New York Times had a story today about uh, the the inequities between the NBA and the WNBA being a big part of this story, which is very strange to me. People are just trying to inject little hobby horses into this. But the way that they covered it, at least what I saw on ESPN, was like, look at this amazing achievement of the Biden administration. Look how much they care. Here's the president. Here's the vice president beaming behind him. Here's Brittany's wife saying words. Look, if that's the whole story that you're aware of, of course you're going to say this is great. And even with the drawbacks and the concerns, it is great for Brittany Griner and her family and her loved ones. I think part of how stupid our discourse is in this country is it's like some people on the right are saying, oh, it's only because she's a black lesbian and that's it. And, you know, what about this Marine? And, you know, this is disgraceful and shameful. And they can't even take one second to say that it's obviously great news for the Griners and and company. But then, and this is the much more powerful voice out there, you have people saying like, Look at this fairy tale ending to this wonderful story. Thank you, Biden administration. Isn't this great? And look at these nasty conservatives who can't even be happy about this because Biden did it and because she's a black lesbian. Right? That's that's the stupid discourse that we have going on. It's not everyone. It's a lot of people. It's not everyone. We try to be at least less stupid here. <laughs> so I concede, as I did from moment one, if I were her, if I were someone who knew her and cared about her, it would be sort of like whatever it takes, we need her home. And now she's coming home. I think she is back. And that's great. I saw some photos of her on the plane. That's great. Thrilled for her. Welcome home. However, there are drawbacks. There are trade-offs. I think that's the key. It reminds me actually of Obamacare. Bear with me. It reminds me of Obamacare because the way the Democrats sold Obamacare was that it was all great news that had no downsides for anyone. It was just wonderful across the board except for these Republicans and their lies. That's the way they sold it. And then when premiums kept going up and people were getting kicked off their plans and losing their doctors and all these other things – It was like, oh, well, gosh, maybe what the conservatives had said all along was correct. There were trade-offs. You can make the case that getting rid of discrimination against people with pre-existing conditions and letting people stay on their family's health care plan until they're 26, that's all like the stuff that polls best in Obamacare and always had. And by the way, premiums went up again. Just going to point that out of the Affordable Care Act has been not terribly affordable for a lot of people. People were promised they could keep their doctor, keep their plan. Not true for millions of Americans, including some of my close friends who were thrown into chaos. They were told none of that would happen. It was all good news, no drawbacks, no trade-offs, just great, just fabulous stuff. And anything else you're hearing out there is misinformation advanced by these right-wingers. And then reality played out differently. There are always trade-offs in life and in policy. 
like on the student loan forgiveness scheme, where for people who get their debt forgiven by taxpayers, it's good for them. For people who have to foot that bill and all these other externalities like you know, the costs of college still going up, particularly faster now because the government has given a backs up, like there are the trade-offs. Does that make it worth it for the small number of people who benefit versus the vast number of people who don't? This is how we should evaluate policy decisions, political decisions. And yet again, there are some people trying to pretend like the Brittany Griner call by the Biden administration was just unmitigated, happy, wonderful news. And anyone who says otherwise is just a grouchy Republican, conservative, anti-Democrat, or even a bigot. And it's just insulting. They left a Marine behind who's been in custody now for years. He's been detained unjustly in Russia for much longer. And the administration says, well, they didn't offer him. It was, it was one or zero, like Russia setting the tone, setting the terms. We said, well, we had no choice. They snatched a basketball player. We gave them back an arms dealer with blood on his hands who supplied weapons to terrorists. And they're also saying, we think he might go back to doing that again. Biden did a, an anti-guns event, a, a gun violence event this week, by the way, and then released this arms dealer, international arms dealer. And then if that's the incentive structure where if you snatch Americans and we're going to negotiate and give you a lopsided deal in your favor, it will likely create more kidnappings and false detentions of Americans with ordeals and heartache for more families. That is a big trade-off, no matter what they say, and we should be talking about it, and we will on The Guy Benson Show. Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show. It's a new hour underway here on The Guy Benson Show on this Friday. Christmas time. Thank you very much for listening. GuyBensonShow.com. It's our website. Our podcast is free every day. Fox News alert. The Dow took a beating down the stretch, closing down 305 points to 33,475. And part of that is certainly on the news about inflation that we just talked about last hour with Larry Kudlow. For more on that and fiscal policy in general, let's bring back in Brian Riedel, senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute, longtime budget staffer on Capitol Hill in the Senate. Brian, good to have you back. Glad to be back, Guy. All right, let's just quickly talk about that, uh, not the markets per se, but the numbers today on inflation, worse than expected. Now folks getting worried about the next CPI number as well. I think there was just this sense that, okay, everything's finally getting resolved and maybe we could be heading toward a soft landing. And the actual data, at least so far, is kind of saying not so fast. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's not going to be a smooth landing. I don't think it's, it's – we may be able to avoid a recession, but inflation usually doesn't just perfectly glide down without much real incident. The danger, of course, is is with Congress doing as much as it can to worsen inflation and the president worsening inflation through tariff spending and regulation, you're going to get back into a mode where the Fed is going to be having to raise the interest rates, not by a quarter or half point, but they're going to continue having to do three quarters of a point at a time. 
um, it's going to it's going to go longer than we thought, uh, just because, again, it's it's never it's never smooth, and Congress and the White House aren't, aren't doing their job to help. Yeah, it could just linger and linger and linger, right? Where you have persistently high inflation for a long period of time, and maybe a recession anyway, and you're kind of getting the worst of all worlds. We don't know how exactly it's going to play out, but obviously not encouraging news that we got earlier today in the new data. Uh, Another piece of discouraging news that no one's really talking about, Brian, but I know uh, you will be eager to talk about, and it's important for us to highlight, and we did it when Trump was president, we did it when Obama was president, we're doing it with Biden as president. I know people just sort of pretend like the national debt isn't really a thing anymore that anyone cares about, and both parties are pretty unserious about it. The Democrats are completely insane on it. The Republicans sometimes talk a good game. Some of them are true believers. Uh, Often they are underwhelming in their actual efforts. The Democrats basically across the board are just horrendous on this. I saw a number from the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget showing that just in the month of November, one month, the federal deficit was almost a quarter of a trillion dollars. Nearly $250 billion was the deficit for November, not for the year. That'd be like the year of deficits, I think, you know, maybe back in the Bush administration at some point. That is one month in a larger number that's completely insane. I know that the Biden folks like to congratulate themselves on debt and deficits, which just blows my mind whenever they do it. And here we are, have a quarter of a trillion dollars in November alone, Brian. I mean, you know, as you mentioned during the Bush administration, in 2007, the deficit was $161 billion for the year. So that's borrowing nearly twice as much in a month as we had borrowed for the year. Can you say that again, that number again? Yeah, in in 2007, the deficit for the whole year was $161 billion. So we we borrowed nearly twice as much in the month of November than we did in the entire year of 2007. And 07, by the way, correct me if I'm wrong, we had two wars going and all sorts of other stuff happening. And people were like, you know, look at what the Bush administration is doing to deficit. And I'm not saying the Bush administration was great on deficits and debt. I think they deserved some of the criticism that they got. But it's just like child's play compared to what we saw in Obama and to a large extent Trump. And then it's just like a blowout now post-COVID with Biden And no one seems to care. And if anything, the only people talking about this stuff is Biden trying to pretend like he's some great champion of deficit reduction. It's wild. I mean, I, I, you know, I got banned from the Bush White House back in the day because I was so critical of Bush's deficits. And you look in today's context and you're like a couple hundred billion dollars. Yeah, as you say, that's child's play compared to the trillions now. And the deficit is going to remain in the trillions. In fact, it's heading towards two to three trillion. But, you know, we were just talking about inflation and interest rates and, and the economy. And this all factors in because we're driving up spending, which is driving up deficits, which is also driving up inflation. Right. And it's going to lead the Federal Reserve to raise interest rates. Rates. And when, when the Federal Reserve has to push up interest rates, that's when the deficit numbers are really going to go crazy. Because every point interest rates rise costs $2.4 trillion over the decade in higher deficits based on interest costs. Right. So it all feeds together. Yeah, no, it, it's sort of like a huge, giant problem that is almost never discussed in a serious way these days. You've written a piece for the Manhattan Institute 
about the progressive policy agenda such that it exists. They love making big promises with big plans that sound great to a lot of people, and they don't really like putting them into legislative language because once they do that, then it butts up against reality and what would actually be required to pay for this stuff or to actually implement it, and it's just like totally crazy and and not feasible. So there's a lot of rhetoric from them, but not so much serious policy uh, coming from those folks for reasons that you outlined. Just give us like a a little short summary of your argument in this piece. I I released this report yesterday. It's called uh, basically Progressive Plans Utopian Utopian promises not backed up with serious legislation. And that's, you know, we always hear like Elizabeth Warren say, I have a plan for that. And Bernie Sanders and the progressives are so aggressive that they have these super wonky plans in Medicare for all, taxing the rich, defense cuts, and climate. And they complain that they're so substantive and wonky and they can't figure out why people don't, don't adopt it. Well, I actually went through the specific proposals, I read the bills in health care and defense and taxes and climate. And what I determined is that the bills are, are, are completely empty. They're substanceless. It's not even a matter of I disagree with them. It's that they're a joke. Um, they're, they're, the main progressive defense bill is a 333-word bill, not 333 pages, 333 words that directs the Secretary of Defense to ask CBO how to cut its budget. That's it. Um, You know, the bills are completely substanceless. And I think it's fascinating because I don't think it's substanceless because progressives never got around to writing bills. It's because what they're promising is completely contradictory, yeah, it's just not, nonsensical, it's not possible. mathematically impossible. Totally impossible. And, I mean, just the health care piece alone is just trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars on top of the problems that we already just discussed about shortfalls and long-term liabilities. Brian, we only have a few seconds left. Coming up in our next segment, I'm going to play some audio from a congressional hearing yesterday or this week on oh the Supreme Court. You said it was your worst nightmare. Just quickly explain why. 15 seconds. Yeah, my worst nightmare is when you're testifying before Congress and, and a, member, a member of Congress hits you on something that's totally factually wrong that you said. So anything you've done in the past that's misleading or false, that a member of Congress just like, disembowels you in front yeah. of Congress and in front of the country. Well, that is what happened. We're going to play that audio. It is brutal. I'm actually looking forward to playing it to some extent. Brian Riedel, Manhattan Institute. Always enjoy it, sir. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. We'll be right back on The Guy Benson Show. We are back. It's The Guy Benson Show. Thanks for listening. So this is quite an exchange from the House Judiciary Committee this week. We've been talking now for months on and off about the leak of the Dobbs decision from the Supreme Court, unprecedented in its nature. And there was an allegation that came out now a few weeks ago that perhaps it was Justice Alito himself who did the leaking and a basis for this, I would say, not credible allegation is something that was said by a guy named Reverend Paul Schenck who is a former pro-life activist, something like that. And he had claimed 
that Alito had let slip the result of a previous Supreme Court decision before it came out. This is just an assertion this guy made, and a bunch of people piled on it and latched onto it because it would fit their narrative that the leaker at the Supreme Court was Alito, and that would reverse some of the conventional wisdom and the finger-pointing at some of the folks on the left, who a lot of people believe would be the likeliest suspect there. And in case there was any doubt, this Paul Schenck, has credibility problems all over the place. The Democrats brought him as a witness because they feel like, hey, he's telling a story that we like. Let's put him under oath. Let's have him say it. And Jim Jordan, a Republican on the committee, clearly he and his staff were ready. They had done some research into this man and his claims and his credibility, and they focused on one specific incident about something else he said at one point in writing He claimed a Supreme Court justice had said something not dissimilar, at least broadly in the context here, and it turned out to be, well, let's just say questionable. Here is how Congressman Jordan set up a pretty brutal episode of gotcha under oath on the witness stand before the Congressional Judiciary Committee on the House side. Here's how it started in Cut 27. Mr. Mr. Shank, did uh, did Gail Wright really tell you that? Yes. Justice Alito said he didn't tell her. She said she didn't tell him. But you're sure she told you? Absolutely. Now, you wrote a book a couple of years ago. Is that right? 20, 2018? You wrote, yes. You wrote a book? Yes. Uh, I want to read a section from that book. Uh, it's a section where you relate uh, you and your family were attended oral arguments at the, at the court you're there in the courtroom, and that directly involved your brother, Paul, um, also a reverend. Uh, and I, wanted, I just want to read this, this section. You said, with the single rap of the gavel, Chief Justice William Rehnquist announced, we'll hear argument first this morning in number 95-1065, Reverend Paul Shank and Dwight Saunders versus Pro-Choice Network of Western New York. Paul and I winked at each other, knowing we had made history with that reverend in his name. It had been a minor victory when we persuaded the court that reverend should remain before Paul's name, even though we had been told repeatedly that legal briefs never included such titles. Okay, so this is an anecdote from this guy's book claiming that Chief Justice Rehnquist had used the term reverend to describe his brother in the name of this court case. And it was a big historic moment. And they looked at each other and they winked at each other in the courtroom when that was said. What a big achievement. It was in the book. He remembers it vividly. So Jim Jordan then followed up. Did that really happen? And the guy kind of looks like a deer in the headlights. He's like, uh, possibly not. Jordan says, what do you mean possibly not? You're emphatic in your book. And the speaker, this now witness, Mr. Shank, says, I would have to go back, which is exactly what Jim Jordan wanted to hear because he said this. Cut 29. Well, we did go back. We did go back. And I got the transcript right here. Proceedings, 10.05 a.m., Chief Justice Rehnquist. We'll hear argument first this morning in number 95-1065, Paul Shank and Dwight Saunders versus Pro-Choice Network of Western New York. Did you hear it? I did. 
Was there a word missing? Uh, title, Reverend. Yeah, wasn't in there. In your book, you said it was a big deal, so much so that you winked at your brother. Did you wink at your brother? Yes. What'd you wink for if it wasn't in the title? Well, it was our case. But you, but that's not. You said you winked because they included Reverend in the title, and the transcript says Mr. Rehnquist didn't. Perhaps not. Perhaps court reporter get it wrong. Did he say it? The court reporter get it wrong. Well then. So this witness maybe shrugs. Maybe the court reporter got it wrong. The whole point of the anecdote that he put in his book was the chief justice said the word reverend, and that was historic, and they had this whole interplay because of it. The official transcript says the chief justice didn't say that word. Did someone else screw up? Did they transcribe it wrong? And the guy sort of like shrugs, like maybe they did. Well, actually, cut 30. Well, we got the audio, too. I'm going to play that for everyone to hear. We'll hear argument first this morning, number 951065, Paul Shank and Dwight Saunders versus Pro-Choice Network of Western New York. Reverend, did you hear that? I did. Was there a word missing that's different from what you put in your book? A title, yes. What was that title? Reverend. Reverend was not there, right? Did you wink at your brother? I think I did. In fact, I think I actually hooked him. So now you got more details. You got the key detail wrong, what you were writing about in your book, but now you remember an additional detail. You not only winked, you not you, you elbowed your brother. I think Even I though did. the reason for the wink in your writing was the fact that Reverend was using the title, something that had never been done, but it wasn't used. But we're supposed to believe you today. I mean, this is just brutal. This guy is the supposed star witness for the Democrats. Oh, Alito was leaking Supreme Court decisions back, I think it was the Hobby Lobby decision, and he told a woman and she told me. They both deny it. But trust me, I'm telling the truth. She told me. Then his staff set this trap. This guy made up a story about the Supreme Court years ago in his book with a very specific little story, a little anecdote about he and his brother in the interplay for a very explicit reason. It wasn't vague, and it was absolutely wrong. That's why it might seem like a minor detail to be focused on, but the whole point is the credibility of this person. Is this person a fabulous and a liar who tells stories for self-aggrandizing reasons, or is this person committed to accuracy? And Jim Jordan just nailed him to the wall on this. Great staff work. And the guy's just squirming. He is flailing. He knows he got caught. And this is how Jordan wraps it up in Cut 31. We're supposed to take your word over Justice Alito's word. We're supposed to take your word over a lady who gave you dollars, donated to your cause, Miss Gail Wright. You're disparaging her name, Justice Alito's name, and the court. And you, you have this, which obviously didn't happen. We got the transcript. We got the audio. But you made it a big deal in your book. One thing I've learned, people who mislead folks on small things mislead them on big things. And you know what? You can, you can lie in a book. It's not a crime. You can lie to the New York Times. That's not a crime. But when you come in front of Congress and you say things that are not true, you're not allowed to do that. You're not supposed to do that. And we have seen it. You're not supposed to do that. I mean, just crushed. This is not someone with great credibility. I have no idea who's responsible for the Dobbs leak. This doesn't prove anything except for this guy that they're hanging a lot of their hopes on 
to try to pin it on Alito based on no evidence. This is a flawed, not credible witness. And man, even though I was rooting for Jordan and against this guy, it still was just like, oh, you're wincing, you're cringing. You could see in his face at one point, uh-oh. And it was open and shut. as textbook, you might even say. The Guy Benson Show continues right after this break. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. Happy Friday. Happy holidays on the Guy Benson Show. Halfway through today's Friday edition of the program. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. Our podcast is always free. With us now, Peter Ducey, Fox News White House correspondent. Welcome back to the show. Merry Christmas to you, sir. Merry Christmas. Thank you, Guy. Delighted to have you here. I want to play... A little oops moment from Corinne Jean-Pierre for you. I think you were in the room for this, but someone asked a question of the press secretary yesterday about the Democrats' calendar to nominate their presidential nominee in 2024. The question was about New Hampshire versus South Carolina, and there was some sort of glitch in the system, and Jean-Pierre started reading an answer that was not responsive to what she was asked. Cut 24. Senator Shaheen has a statement. She's apparently not coming to the ball tonight. Uh, She's upset that the president uh, endorsed a proposal to uh, put South Carolina in New Hampshire. And she says that New Hampshire uh, is now vulnerable for her party. Uh, Does the president have a response to that? So look, um, we honor uh, we honor the Hatch Act, as I as I mentioned many times before here, as we are talking about a potential election, a 2024 uh, presidential election. But looking backward, it is the ultimate irony, uh, you know, uh, that the 2020 election was was uh, was proven by the Trump administration's homeland. Oh, sorry, I think I got ahead of myself there. <laughs> we take the law very seriously here. She just, I guess, went to the wrong tab in the binder and started reading and at some point realized it was the wrong tab. Is that what happened there? I I think so. And, you know, in her defense, I would say she has many, many uh, sections and pages in that binder. When I go in, I have like one page. I try to keep everything on one page because uh, I don't want to have to find it. (laughs) So that's, that's the tough part of that job. Yeah, she's got a lot of tabs open on the browser. Let's put it that way. And she clicked on the wrong one this time, and it was just like a little bit of a cringy moment. This was also an interesting exchange. You were involved in this one involving the Twitter files and that whole issue that we're actually going to be discussing a little bit further in the next segment. But here it was, cut one. You're trying to get more answers about it, and the White House not really wanting to give you those answers. Listen. You've said a few times that you really can't talk about communications between the Biden campaign and Twitter. Who is telling you that that's off limits? I've already had that conversation with you, with your colleague, I believe, yesterday. Uh, I've I've already addressed this multiple times this week, so I don't have anything more to add. Uh, Again, we've we've litigated this uh, all week. Don't have anything to add. I'm going to the back. I'm going to the back. I'm going to the back. Go ahead. All right, so no more questions, no more follow-up. But you weren't asking a broad question about this Twitter controversy and the White House and their willingness to take shots at Twitter all the time, you were asking a very specific question there about why and who specifically was telling her 
that she couldn't get into this issue on a more granular level, right? That that was your question. Where is this guidance coming from? And obviously she wanted no part of that question. And here's part of the reason. Here was my thinking behind that, uh, and I just didn't get to it. Two things. Number one, when she talks about a past campaign, uh, not being able to talk about a past campaign like 2020 because of the Hatch Act, I've been going through the materials that are available for federal employees who are covered by the Hatch Act, like Karine Jean-Pierre, and I can't find anything about past elections. The whole point of the Hatch Act is they don't want you standing there on taxpayer-funded feeds or uh, at taxpayer-funded microphones and trying to influence a – an election that has not happened. Right, upcoming this election, election. Has happened. Yes, and and the second reason that this is of interest, and what I was going to ask next, it seems like there was some kind of a back channel between the Biden campaign and Twitter. Yeah, fine. They can't they they can't talk about it. Okay, but a lot of people from the campaign now work at the White House, right. and so this is not a campaign question. Did these back channels continue? That's all I wanted to know. Uh, but, you know, I, I was hoping uh, that's kind of a, a two-parter, uh, needed a follow-up, didn't get it yesterday, but uh, we'll, we'll get there. Do you get the sense that there is an appetite among your colleagues for more information on this? Because it feels like a lot of the journalists in D.C. and New York are explicitly on the side, well, as usual, of the Democrats and the previous Twitter regime and censorship and all of that. I mean, it feels very much like we're in these opposite universes where a lot of people say, wow, this is really problematic and scandalous and we need to figure out exactly what happened, especially that nexus of politicians and people in power and former intelligence folks getting involved and some technically private company influencing an election. And the other side, represented by most journalists and virtually all Democrats, is like, oh, there's nothing to see here. This is just another weird little fascination of the right wing and that's it it just is bizarre to me that people just fall into their tribal camps so quickly when you would think that journalists supposedly first amendment advocates would want to know and have some curiosities about what actually was going on here you know i don't know if it's that people are not curious um and everybody's got editors telling them to do different stories on different topics but I am surprised. The thing that is surprising about the lack of questions is that uh, the White House press corps is probably the most concentrated uh, group of enthusiastic Twitter users and consumers <laughs> yes. uh, anywhere on the planet. Yes. Like everybody's on Twitter all the time. They're tweeting all day and looking at each other's tweets. And so um, I, I'm a little bit surprised that there's less talk about it, but uh, who knows why. Peter, I have not followed the following story very closely because I just don't have the energy for it, but hopefully you can help me out here. Was there some sort of controversy involving members of Congress and the White House Christmas Party and then the press corps and the White House Christmas Party and people were mad about the food being offered or the booze or like not enough people were invited? What happened? I know there was a lot of whining and I just didn't have it in me to care. Um, I, I saw like a political item that some members of Congress, uh, who would not go on the record, might I add, hmm. uh, were saying that they were unhappy with like the food selection at the congressional ball. They had a, a party basically in the White House mansion uh, for members of Congress and their partners. And so I, I 
guess there was an issue with the food. Um, was not there for that one. Um, but I, I'm sure that they've sorted things out uh, for for the rest of the season's uh, festivities. And then for the correspondence or journalist party, were you at that one? Were you invited to that one? Uh, I did attend, yes. Okay. How was it? Did you have a nice time? It was – I had a nice time. It's You know, we go into the White House all the time with, uh, like, a notebook, notebook and just trying to scream at the president or whoever's talking, and so it was good to go and not have to scream. Cordial, are you on the Christmas card list, Peter Ducey, or just the White House correspondence invite list? I, I, if there is a Christmas card, I haven't seen it yet, but uh, <laughs> it's still early. Still early. Okay. Only the 8th. We're holding out hope. We'll have to get you back here for an update. You did have an opportunity to actually ask a question of the president himself on his way to Arizona. You pointed out, and this has got a lot of play, at least in certain quarters, including on our show, Hey, Mr. President, the gist was, you're going to a border state. Why not take the opportunity to go to the border while you're there? His response was, there's more important things happening in Arizona. Basically, I'm not really interested in doing that. I'm there for another reason. What did you think of that? I thought it was a telling, very short back and forth. Um, You know, the White House kind of added context for him after and uh, they basically said the top issue in the midterms, including in Fox News polling, uh, was the economy. And they are basically trying to dare anybody, including in border states, to say that the border is a bigger issue facing the country than the economy. And, uh, you know, in terms of the back and forth, um, that's why we go and try to, like, get his attention because – even though I think that whole soundbite that got all that play is like 11 seconds long. At most. Yeah, we um, played it here. It's like most. seven seconds or something. Yeah, but it, that's like the window into his thinking that you don't always get in like a press briefing or uh, otherwise. Um, and yep. so I, I, I was glad that he uh, kind of had his guard down to give an actual – because presidents, usually if you ask them something like that, they could say – well, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. You know, if the border is important, we'll get to it. Uh, but he basically said that day, not the priority. Yeah. And, you know, appreciate the candor, Mr. Perez. Yeah, I, I guess it's candid. I think it's revealing. I think it's a bad answer. I'm not saying the economy isn't important. and The event he was going to go attend on that front wasn't important. It's just while you're there, there's another burning issue that's a giant crisis on your watch that you have caused but refused to see. You can just double up and make a pit stop at the border to see it. He didn't want to talk about that, and he kind of dismissed it, which I think made the point that a lot of people have been making, including yours truly, here on the show. Last but not least, Peter, you were asking the White House and pressing them on this prisoner swap with the Russians. And I know that there are points to be made on both sides of this issue. It's complicated. We, I think, had a thoughtful conversation here yesterday about it with Morgan Ortegas. I have my concerns about it. I'm also happy for Brittany Griner, of course, and her family. What was the thrust of the way you were challenging the White House on this issue with your line of questioning? I, basically, it seems like the Russians are very happy with this deal, and a lot of Americans are not because there's still a Marine, Paul Whelan, uh, left behind. And so I was asking her, essentially— why did the Russians get a better deal? Uh, it, it, pretty straightforward. 
Uh, the White House doesn't see it like that. Uh, and it's, it's tricky for them because this guy that they released, uh, the, the merchant of debt, they're not publicly saying that they got any reassurances that he's not going to go and arm terrorists. Yeah, back to again. the death business. And if they're not, yeah. And if they're not saying that publicly, that means there's a strong possibility there is no reassurance that he's not going to go. And I know some guys in Congress were telling me yesterday uh, they think he's going to go and help Putin beef up his munitions in Ukraine. Like a lot of uh, this guy's in a bad business, and it, he might go back to it. Um, and so I, that's kind of the that was kind of the thrust of the yesterday stuff. Any big Christmas plans, Peter Ducey? Uh No, we will be uh, staying local. Well, very good. Well, maybe we'll see you then for a beverage. I know that you guys had a lot going on, missed the now infamous Christmas party, but we'd love to get together, have an alcoholic beverage with you and maybe a non-alcoholic beverage with your wife these days. Uh, yeah, well, yep. Uh, another uh, another two months or so that non-alcohol for her uh, we, we would like that yeah we're we're just uh, thrilled for you guys hopefully see you soon if not merry christmas and thanks for joining us we'll talk again in the very near future all right we will see you soon thanks guys peter Ducey, fox news channel white house correspondent our guest on the guy benson show and we will be back after this fresh conservative talk guy benson show Back on The Guy Benson Show, last evening, Barry Weiss, the journalist that we quote here fairly often, she put out a long thread on Twitter about her investigation into the so-called Twitter files. We know that Elon Musk had given her and Matt Taibbi a lot of access to this information, and he had already sort of got the ball rolling, Taibbi had, and this was Barry Weiss and her contribution. And apparently there's a lot to pour through and there's more still to come. Here's what she writes to start off that thread. A new Twitter files investigation reveals that teams of Twitter employees build blacklists, prevent disfavored tweets from trending, and actively limit the visibility of entire accounts or even trending topics, all in secret without informing users. Once Twitter had a mission, quote, to give everyone the power to create and share ideas and information instantly without barriers, end quote. Along the way, barriers, nevertheless, were erected. Take, for example, Stanford's Dr. Jay Bhattachara, who argued that COVID lockdowns would harm children. Twitter secretly placed him on a trends blacklist, which prevented his tweets from trending. Let's just pause there for a second. This doctor from Stanford was part of that declaration of doctors and scientists saying, we are very concerned about some of the government's reactions to COVID, and we believe that some of these policies are going to be harmful. And they talked about kids and schools and a lot of different things. And that was actively suppressed. Dr. Fauci went to war with them. A lot of others were censoring this group of doctors, kind of pretending like they didn't really exist. Like the official conventional wisdom narrative setters decided that they were not going to really engage substantively with these ideas. They were going to try to make them fringe and marginal and ignored for the most part. 
And Twitter, we now understand, was actively a part of that cabal. Now, I will point out, relatedly, that this Stanford doctor was a heavy influence on the policy decisions of the state of Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis. He actually looked at the data, looked at what the great Barrington Declaration had to say, and said, no, this is right, and fashioned his approach to the pandemic accordingly, very much unlike the federal government. I think now that we can look back on the results, they speak for themselves. But here's Barry Weiss pointing out that this doctor, a very credible and, as it turns out, correct person on these questions, was effectively blacklisted as a trending topic maker on this very important discussion, broadly speaking. Then it was a hot topic, of course, across the country. She goes on talking about Dan Bongino getting censored or de-amplified. There's a whole list. And she got insight into some of these internal discussions and emails about how this happened, how they use technicalities selectively to do this. And all of it was without users' knowledge. I think that's a key part of this. Publicly, Twitter, the company, was denying this stuff. And the term shadow banning, which conservatives were alleging against Twitter, they were saying, nope, that is not happening. And it was considered a conspiracy theory among a lot of the same people who often just declare things misinformation or conspiracies, even if they turn out to be correct. From the lab leak theory to the Hunter Biden laptop to this, I mean, there's a long and growing list. But the so-called correct thinking people said, oh, no, this shadow banning is some right-wing dream. It's not happening. There they go again. And now there is clear evidence that something very akin to that, and now we're just bogged down in this inane parsing debate about whether it's technically shadow banning. It was effectively shadow banning. It was happening. Now, I'm open to more context. Was this disproportionately hitting the right versus the left? Is the opposite happening now? Fine. Let's have that discussion. Let's learn more. But the denials, the blanket denials, and the gaslighting, I think, is now being pretty thoroughly exposed. So this is not over by any stretch, and it shouldn't be. And we will keep following it on The Guy Benson Show. Final hour coming up. Fridays with Cat is next. It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. It is the happy hour on a Friday. Happy Friday, one and all. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Glad to have you here from New York City. I'm Guy Benson. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. The podcast is free every day on demand, including bonus Benson on the weekends. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You can also follow us on social media at Guy Benson Show, Twitter, and Instagram. Joining us here in studio in New York is our friend Kat Timp. It is Fridays with Kat. She's a Fox News contributor, co-host of Gutfeld! Exclamation point every night at 11 p.m. Eastern. 
and co-host of Tyrus and Timp, the podcast, also available, as it happens, at foxnewspodcast.com. Hello, Kat. Why, hello. So glad to be here. We really haven't seen much of each other this I know. Week. I was going to say, it's been a lot of guy in my life. I like it. You came to the Christmas party, which we'll get to later, mm-hmm. last weekend. So I saw you Saturday. You were still at the house Sunday. Yep. Then I came up on Tuesday, but I saw you Wednesday on yep. Gutfeld, yesterday on Kennedy. Yep. I stayed at your house Wednesday night, right. your apartment, and then here we are together yet again. Yes. So it's been a lot, yes. and it's fabulous. Yes. Apartment. You have a house. I have an apartment. It's I rent nice, an apartment. It's a nice apartment. <laughs> Very fun. Yes. yes uh, your dog was quite fond of me. Carl? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he yeah. was snoring in my lap. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. He likes to go under the blanket. Yes. I was confused what he was trying to do. I'm he like, was just, scratching you. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just sit on, like, sit here. It's fine. Like, yeah. I'll, I'll pet you and whatever. He wanted to go under the blanket, which I then let him do after you explain, and he yeah. fell asleep within seconds. Yeah. And he was ne- snoring loudly. Yeah, he needs to shut it down. He need, he needs to shut it down. If there's any outside distractions, he can't, he can't shut it down. <laughs> yeah. All right, so I want to talk about some of the Christmas party nonsense that we've been prattling on about all week here on the show. Before that, though, I do want to get your reaction to this. I like quasi news story that I find interesting. We haven't covered it yet, I don't think, on this show. But now there's another update to it. So there's this individual, and I want to be careful. I don't want to misgender this person. Like, I don't want to do that intentionally. I don't know what his or their pronouns are. But this person's name is, what, Sam Brinton. Mm-hmm. And this person works in the Biden administration as some sort of nuclear waste management official at relatively high levels of the administration. And this person has been much ballyhooed in the press for a while because of their non-conforming, non-binary gender status. And mm-hmm. there's been some controversy among conservatives because this person did like BDSM workshops at colleges and has a very colorful history on some of this stuff. So – I didn't really pay much attention to this. It was another identity politics like, okay, here's a thing, breaking the glass ceiling, here's all the non-binary trans people, fine. Like, you do you. Right. I'm not really that interested. Same. But then. But then. But then. This person seemed to be caught, like, Mm red-handed, stealing very expensive luggage off of, like, the luggage Carousel. carousel at an airport. On camera, this person denied it, but it was pretty undeniable. Mm -hmm. And I guess what the footage showed was this person had gotten off a flight, I think back to D.C., had not checked a bag on that flight, Mm -hmm. went to the luggage carousel anyway, saw this expensive bag, took it, ripped the tag off of it, like the name tag, Mm -hmm. threw it in the garbage, and then wheeled this luggage away. And then was also on camera returning to the airport for subsequent flights using this bag as his or her or their own. So that resulted in criminal charges. I didn't really bring it up here because it was like a strange incident involving someone who is only famous or somewhat prominent because of the gender identity thing. And I just didn't think that if a straight cis person had done this, it would necessarily be a giant national news story, Mm. except that person also wouldn't be prominent for that reason. But this Mm -hmm. person is prominent for that reason. And now there's an alleged crime. I have to give the whole background here just to get an appropriate reaction. The update is now it looks like this person did the same thing at least another time. Who knows if this was a spree? 
Like if this was just a serial stealer of luggage that we're talking about here. But this latest example is from Las Vegas, where this person was there and apparently did the exact same thing. New criminal charges there. So I just find the whole thing very weird. Yes. I find that decision to do, I mean, obviously it's To do crimes in an airport. Yes. That's, yeah. I I got no problem with any of the stuff that, where there's like nobody's being victimized. Like this, you want to go by they, them. Okay, that's fine. You want to teach a BDSM workshop at a college. Like that's fine. Like everyone there is an adult. Also, I mean, if it's a public school, it's like the whole idea of like taxpayer dollars. I I don't believe in taxes for anything. I don't believe in taxes. (laughs) So we could, that's a different conversation. Right. But you know, there's been so much wrapped into this person being a they, them and the BDSM that we're not spending enough time talking about how this person is too stupid to be in any kind of position. Because, I mean, where but an airport does the average person have less privacy? Like, an airport. I'm going to do crimes at an airport. There's no <laughs> surveillance there. And not just once, but but multiple times. Well, at least twice. At least twice. That we know of, that allegedly. We know of, but allegedly. It's, on, it's on camera. It's on camera. Of course, you're at an airport. Everything you do is on camera. And... I don't know the exact term. I don't want to diagnose this individual because I also don't want to misgender the individual. That's not what this is about. But is it what like klep- kleptomania? Kleptomania. Kleptomania. Kle- kleptomania is the condition. Yeah. It seems like this is kind of perhaps one of their little fetishes. Perhaps like there's something going on because uh, and there is a victim to this crime. That yes, people I stuff. hate when people say that nonviolent equals victim. No, stealing. There's a victim. That, that there's a victim in the crime. It's the person whose stuff you took. Yes, that, like that. That's that. There's a victim in that crime, and the fact that eventually they say, okay, well, you know, I thought it was mine. I didn't realize it wasn't mine. It's like, listen, no, no, no. You got cocks here in airport. There's cameras, which means the camera also saw you. Take the luggage, look at the tag, right. rip it off, yeah. and put it in your it's bag. Like, oh, I didn't realize that wasn't my, my name. name. Right, exactly. <laughs> that is what you're saying. Like, you have a stealing. Just the best you can do is do like the Winona Ryder thing and be like, I have a stealing disease. Like, I can't stop right. stealing. I have, <laughs> I have a kleptomania. I have to go to stealing rehab. Yeah, because being like, I didn't do. Like, now you also got to say you got a lying disease. By the way, can you imagine how much stuff goes missing at stealing rehab? Oh my, you're right. You're right. It That's just, why I never understood what, how sex addiction rehab goes. Right, let's so like, put them all together. Yeah, put them all together in a room, and the, everybody knows everyone's down. Right, exactly. It's like, uh, all right, you <laughs> yeah. share your story now, Yeah, Kat. exactly, exactly. Like, this thing's going to escalate. Yeah. So, yeah, I find it the lies that this person told initially were disprovable immediately because of the looking at the name tag and discarding it on camera right. piece of it. And then, obviously, you had to then take the luggage home see that it's not your stuff, get rid of that stuff, and then refill the bag with your things and proceed to use it as your own. And this was, I think, a multi-thousand dollar bag. This is a very fancy bag. So they have good taste. They understand what's expensive. This is also a crime. Yes. And then any shred of benefit of doubt still remaining that there was some sort of miscommunication would be completely gone when it's now apparently a repeat pattern. (laughs) This person enjoys this. Correct. Yes. Have they been fired yet? Like, I feel like multiple crimes being charged for the same, like, and at that point, you should not have your job, especially yes, a government job. Yes. C- crimes and also s- being stupid. Crimes, lying, stupid. stupidity. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's a bad combination, but a pretty common one, I think, in government. Yeah, unfortunately, yes. Unfortunately, yes. I think I think last they were on leave or something. I, I don't I don't know exactly, but okay. well, I wouldn't want this person working for me. No. No thank you, Sam Brinton. Ugh. And I think sure. every single person on Twitter's made the point, like, wow, this person's got a lot of baggage. Right, I know. But um bum. But um Speaking of laughter and right. true fun. Absolutely. On Gutfeld this week, big rating, by the way, over two million people on Wednesday. Fun program. I decided to, and I did consult with you before I did this. I said, I saw on Tuesday's show, Greg was talking about the Christmas party that he wasn't invited to yep. multiple times. Yep. I want to bring it up. And you're like, do it in your very first answer. Yes. Like, don't even wait. Yeah. So I did. Went for it. Yep. We played it on the show yesterday. I put it on my social media. And then I continued the thread of the joke throughout the entire show, yeah, every, working it into every Every segment. answer. Tyrus got involved, too. Yeah. It was great. It started to become... A fun little group thing. And I think my favorite part of it was this little incident being used as a springboard for both you and Dana Perino yeah. to call him out being like, you never come to anything. You never come to anything. You get so mad when you're not invited. You never come. He sometimes says he will, but he doesn't. He ne- <laughs> Almost a decade of knowing this guy, not a single birthday party has he gone to of mine. I mean – that's the record. We're just simply stating yeah, facts. Yeah, those are facts. Here on the program. We do facts here. Yep. And so we had that whole conversation. I got a ton of responses from people, mostly people saying, like, invite me to the party. Yeah. It's like, okay. It's already – it was, like, almost at full capacity, I would say, mm-hmm. this year. I don't know if we can get much bigger, but you and Cam came down. Yes. With a whole crew of people. Yep. Had a very fun time. Yes. You are now aware of the spill. The spill. And I have – Maybe some insight. Uh-oh. Okay. Because, oh, Christine just got very nervous. But it's it's more of a lead that of an idea than a specific person. Okay. Because it was, everyone was having a great time. It was only like 8.30 or something. You guys, like, there was no more champagne. Right? Remember that? So when I go to a party, I don't just go to a party. I take it very seriously. I'm like, I need to be a part of the party. Like, mm-hmm. I need to be the party. Mm-hmm. So Keith, who was part of our crew, we went to go buy more. We went to this liquor store, which, by the way, we did not know there was one so close. We did a, quite a journey. Oh, there was one, like, right down the street. <laughs> we walked uh, for a mile. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was not necessary. And let me just say, by the way, the champagne, we made the decision that we were going to get, I think it was, like, eight bottles of champagne, and it was just wall supplies last. That and the espresso martini. We had a set amount of it, and then it was white and red wine and long drink and beer. Oh, yeah, there were espresso martinis. Christine is like, what? Yeah. They were gone by the time you arrived. I don't think you needed any uppers. Yeah, she didn't yeah. need any more. She didn't need any more anything yeah. that night. So we did run out of champagne, but, but also, that was sort of by design. But it was also like, sorry, but you know, I was staying with you. Yes, and so I was like, I want to get you something anyway. Yes. So I was like, I'll go get more champagne, and I got you guys like a big bottle of Patron to yes. keep at your house, which comes into play later. Yes, and then I also got Keith got a candy cane of Fireball shots. It yes. was one candy cane full of Fireball shots. So. There weren't that many of them. It was just like, he's like, this is my contribution. Because, again, you know, I'm, I don't want to – I wasn't like your party didn't have enough champagne. I'm like, okay, I see a need here, and now I know what I can do Oh, yeah, you seize the moment. And I'm going to seize this moment, and thank you for letting me stay at your house. It was perfect. Yeah. So I noticed – I didn't get one of the fireball shots. There weren't that many. Candy cane full, like, you know, this little candy cane – like, you know how big, like, a shooter There were is. maybe, like, 20 of them. Like, even less, maybe. 12. I noticed that when – 
we were after we got back from the bar and I Cam and I got there and I said, Oh, dad's still up and we but we had some drinks later after that. In the spot that was missing the cushion, because it was spilled on, yep. there was a fireball shooter an sitting empty there. One. An empty fireball shooter. Not that many people had those. Well, there is a complicating factor here, which is Kennedy, our dear friend. Yeah was after the fireball shots were consumed, she would take the empty little mini plastic bottles and throw them at people. Got it. During oh. the, so they were flying all around. At some point, I realized it was her and made eye contact, and I was just like, we're not doing that here. It's not that kind of party. Okay. Not well, yet. That's, that's a bummer because what I was originally thinking was— No, it's a good thought. If somebody is the kind of person to take—to tr- go to someone's house— Look, I, I don't have, like— I would describe my social skills as alternative. Okay, like I'm not for everyone, but I I am better than going to someone's house and then shoving my trash into the cushions of their couch. Into the cushion, yeah. Which that's a choice. I think that was a flying Kennedy thrown fireball shooter. Is what happened. No, it's a very good thought. And in fact, hold that thought because we have to break. We'll take a quick break. It's the Guy Benson Show. Fridays with Cat. Happy hour. Be right back. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. Back with Kat Timp. It's the happy hour on the Guy Benson Show. We are, of course, talking about the Christmas party. Apparently, the only reason I throw this party every year is to milk a week's worth of content about it here on the show. And by the way, just to follow up on something that you said, the last guest left the party around 1.45 a.m. Mm-hmm. And I was still wired enough that I wasn't tired. Plus, the house was needing cleaning. Mm. Like, I was looking around. I said, I do not want to wake up to this tomorrow. I know I'm going to be a little groggy. Let me just do it now. So I was listening to music, did a lot of the cleaning, not everything, but it was pretty good. And then about 45 minutes later, it's 2.30. I hear the front door open. It's like, what is that? So I walk over and look to see who it was. And it was you and Cam coming back from the bars. I didn't even know that you left. Yeah. I assumed you guys were asleep. No. And you look at me, I look at you, and there was a moment of silence, and you go, oh, no. As you said, Dad's still up. <laughs> yeah. And I cracked up. And then I was, like, literally two minutes from going to bed. You're like, let's talk. So yeah. then we went to the aforementioned couch with a missing piece because of the spill. And you're like, what time is it? Shot o'clock. Yeah. And you had me do... Tequila I didn't even shot. do the shot. Cam did the shot. Cam and I did shots. Yeah. You had something else to drink. I had I some beers. And we ended up talking for like another yeah, what, hour and a half. Or, we played truth or truth. Yes, it was no just, truth or dare, just truth yeah, or truth. Yeah, it's just truth or dare without the dare. Yeah. It's so, like when everyone, you don't want to dare, it's like you don't want to get up. <laughs> it's too, you're just lazy at that point. <laughs> you know, it's like a nice little get to know you game. We had a nice time. The, like, here's the thing about spills. I'm not trying to say I've never spilled. I've spilled. But I'm like, I spilled. What can I do? Yes. That is the appropriate response. Yeah. We had a giant spill last year. That's what happened. And even though it was annoying, and frankly, even bigger than this year's, we knew the culprits. They did a lot of work to try to make it better, and then it was fine. This year, and it's all turned out fine. We've got it washed. It took effort. It's just the mystery that's sort of eating away at me. Yeah, because you've gone public enough with this that everybody was at this party because they knew one of you guys. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, People are invested in this outcome. You've been posting about this. Somebody out there knows. The truth is out there. The truth is out there. And it's like more than (laughs) one person has to know. Oh, so there's a, there's a conspiracy of silence. I mean, was the couch ever left unattended? Like you said, there no, was a lot so of people, people there. Yeah, like th- th- there was a ton of. This was a packed of. This was a. This was the part. The party of the season of the season. Yeah, I would say over the course of the night, we probably had around 
125 people. There are family weddings that I don't go to, and I and I came to your Christmas party two years in a row. <laughs> well, well, you know, is it worth it? I, I had a great time, of course. Of course yeah, it was it's worth really it. fun. Yeah. And by the way, for the record, as I said to Greg, he will be invited next and year. And he will not go. I, of course he won't. <laughs> If I lived in his building, he yeah, probably he wouldn't, wouldn't go. show up. He might go. Like he did come to my wedding, which for a while I was like, I wonder if he will come to my to my wedding. <laughs> to your wedding. To my wedding. You work together every day. Yeah. He every did day. come. He did come. I need to finagle an invite to hang out with him socially. Yeah. As the cost of then inviting him to the Christmas party for him to decline. That's a good point. Because he doesn't go out. He doesn't I have really, to go to him. You have to go to him. Okay. Um, well, maybe you could just like spring it on him one day, like, "Hey, we're hanging out." By the way, guess who's with me? Yeah, and we'll I, see if he cancels we'll, the whole thing. We'll, he wouldn't do he's it. He's like, that's, "Shut it down." No, that's 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 how we'll do it because okay, he's good. he's been over to our place uh, like a, a handful of times. No, but you always go there. No, always this is, go to there. We've got a plan. We're going to execute it. Everyone, if you know Greg, just don't tell him. Yeah, don't. We tell don't. Greg. We don't tip him off. He's probably not listening to the show, honestly. Yeah, he so, only watches reruns of himself. Hey, up, yeah, he does. Hey, Upstate Weekend, have so much fun. Oh yeah, bye. And then we'll wait till the car. We're, we're on our way. And so, right, oh, we're driving. Yeah, guys, go, guys with us. So <laughs> he can't wait. He bought you a nice bottle of red. Perfect. Perfect. It's a plan. We got to go. Cat Timpf, co-host of Gutfeld. See you tonight at 11 p.m. Fox News Channel. And very happy holidays and Merry Christmas to you. I know you love Christmas more than anything. We got to go. It's the Guy Benson Show. We'll be right back. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. We are back. It's the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour. Earlier on in our first hour, we caught up on the economy, politics, and more with our friend and colleague, Larry Kudlow, host of Kudlow on FBN every day at 4 p.m. Eastern. I was actually on his show today. Also, former top economic advisor, of course, to President Trump. Here's a part of our conversation with Larry Kudlow. All right, let's talk about the inflation numbers that came out today. I know some people, a lot of folks, were anticipating better, more promising numbers than we got, and it's kind of like another stubborn, tough miss. Well, that's right, actually. Um, Came in higher than expected. Wholesale prices, so-called producer prices, up 7.4% now the last 12 months. So that's still a very high number. The Fed's target, mind you, is 2 so the CPI for October was 7.7. We'll get a new CPI next week. The PPI is running at 7.4. Actually, Worse than expected, right? They were expecting worse. it to come down lower. And actually, uh, the old methodology for wholesale prices is showing 10.6%. These are very weird numbers, uh, and even excluding food and energy, 8%. So here, bottom line, it's not good. All the tightening by the Fed, which is damaging the economy and is surely going to lead us into recession next year. We may be in a recession already. Uh, So far has not worked very well. There is some inflation relief, but not much. So before we get to recession, sticking with inflation, would the Fed have to clamp down harder and tighter and make it more painful if they're not actually getting this thing under control, if they're not – suppressing the economy, which is what, unfortunately, they have to do here to kill inflation, if it's not killing it fast enough and is still weaker than expected, at least the outcomes that they're looking for, then what? So step back for one moment. It would be great under really good economic policies 
to open the oil and gas spigots to make the Trump tax cuts permanent. By the way, some of that stuff expires January 1st and to stop the regulatory war against business. But they're not going to do that. Supply side policies would reduce inflation by increasing growth and productivity. Yeah, but I mean, there's no chance, right? You've got to that is, Biden in the White House, Democratic Senate. There's just I just thought I'd contrast. It's no, Christmas. I, I, <laughs> it's free markets versus socialism. I just thought I'd throw that in. No, now, you're going to get the solutions in there, to, which is fine. To your point, <laughs> which is accurate, okay, uh, the Fed will have to raise their target rate another 50 basis points. But here's where Wall Street uh, and the stock market is at risk. There's a view that the Fed's going to slow down or stop. And I don't share that view. And the number like you got today shows there's no reason for that view. Inflation is very sticky. And you have wages going up because prices are going up. The workforce wants to get paid in real dollars right now. They're losing. So I think the battle's going to continue. The battle against inflation is going to continue all the way through next year. Ugh. I just want to make that point. There is no, there's never been a magic bullet here. Uh, Wall Street, you know, I worked there 20 years ago or 25 years ago, likes to put on a happy face. And I myself like to be optimistic. Yeah, you're usually. But we're going to have to go through this. Pretty the mistakes upbeat. were made, you know, 18, 20 months ago. The mista- Too much federal spending, too many uh, welfare, unemployment, no workfare requirements. Oh, just all- flooding the economy with money. Trillions. Money. That is correct. Roughly $5 trillion. The Fed's trying to mop it up. And the Fed participated in that because they accommodated the fiscal uh, uh, splurging. So it's a problem. And um, I know it's we're coming into Christmas, and I want people to be happy. Uh, deep prayer and meditation will be very helpful in this situation. Yeah, I think that's probably right. And I want to come back to the Democrats' policies momentarily, but going in order here, inflation and now the R-word recession. I've now asked this question to a few different people on the show I hear CEOs on TV coming on and giving different vantage points and Mm -hmm. different assessments. Some are saying, look, there's a real problem here. We're going to have a recession. I think it was Jamie Dimon again talking about, you know, economic hurricanes coming, gathering. The storm clouds are gathering. Then you add other folks I saw out there, smart people, looking at a lot of data saying, yeah, probably a recession's coming, but it might be like the last one, shallow and brief. Mm. And then it was United CEO, United Airlines, who I think went on national TV and said, based on their data in terms of air travel and and consumer patterns, he said that word recession wouldn't even be in my vocabulary if I didn't see it in the news all the time. It's not in our data. What do you make of that? That's that's sort of like a a scatter plot. Yeah, it depends, you know, what industry, because uh, the airline guy's right. Um, The numbers show very strong. Uh, airplane, you know, tickets, demand, travel is strong. People are eating up their savings, but there's a lot of travel going on. Uh, leisure and travel are probably the best parts. However, you're reading almost daily layoffs in the technology sector, layoffs in the social media sector, not just Twitter, but Facebook, uh, Apple, Google also. Um, technology in general is laying off. Uh, you look at the numbers, some of these models that I like to use, market-based models, uh, I don't like to get into the weeds, but in the treasury market, the so-called yield curve, 
short-term rates, like the three-month T-bill, are much higher than long-term rates, the 10-year T-bond, much higher. Which means what? It means uh, recession. Uh, There's at least a 50% chance of a recession next year based on yield curve models. And I'll tell you another thing. Um, An old-fashioned one, you know, I'm an old guy, I use old-fashioned indicators. The conference board's index of leading indicators, very good. An old business uh, planning tool has been crashing. And so that has uh, recession written all over it too. And, of course, the bankers are seeing it because loan demand is very soft. Jamie Dimon has been warning about this too. So, look, I I don't want to be the Scrooge here. I'm just saying a dose of realism. When you make bad mistakes – Unfortunately, in the economy, you pay for it. My full interview with the host of Cudlow, available online at GuyBensonShow.com. Also on our free podcast, the whole show, every day on demand, absolutely no charge to you. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, wherever you get your podcasts, you have options. Bonus Benson on the weekends, of course, also free and available. When we come back, it's the home stretch. We'll get to some holiday cheer And a product that seems like it was made specifically for one member of our team. That is straight ahead. For the full interview and more, go to GuyBensonShow.com. Home stretch on the Guy Benson Show on this Friday as we close out the week here in New York City. GuyBensonShow.com, our website. Podcasts always free, including on the weekends. Bonus Benson is the option there. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, wherever you get your podcasts, you know the drill. So last night we got a text message on our group chain. My group chain with this team on this show is more active than my group chains with most of my friends and family. Like, it is constant. And it's often quite entertaining. Some of it's just logistical planning. Hey, can you go do this? What's the plan for that? Who are we booking here or there? Like, I get it. But some of it is more colorful. Let's put it that way. Although one use of the group chain that I failed to execute properly today was to ask Cookie to do me a favor. Instead, I texted her separately as opposed to with Wyatt and Dan attached. I was running a little bit late. I was hoping that she could do me a favor and pick up lunch for me and my Coke Zero. So I texted her probably, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes before I was going to get to Fox. Radio silence in response. Just nothing back from Christine. So I assumed she just hadn't seen it. So I then went to the little lunch store, got the things myself, and then said, never mind, I'm heading up. She said, no, I already got it. So we have double the Coke Zero, which is no problem. I'm having one right now. I will save another one for later. And then I got two soups, which actually turns out being fine because I gave one to Dan. I offered it to Christine. She didn't like the soup. It was not French onion soup, by the way, I will have you know, which she hates. This was a turkey chili soup. I had it. And then I offered the other one to Dan, who is literally still eating it. He's been, I guess, really savoring that over these hours. So what I should have done is texted it to the group so she felt like she had to acknowledge it to everyone so this miscommunication wouldn't happen. But all's well that ends well. And I'm not completely blaming Christine, but it's like 90% her fault. First of all, it was John. 
You and you you exaggerated there. You texted me at twelve fifty. I wrote back to you at twelve fifty nine. Okay, already had it purchased. Wait, wait. You said okay. Yes, I texted you. The reason I didn't write back earlier was I was had a salad in my hand. Put the salad down at the place. Went and got the turkey chili. Went and got the coke, and then I wrote okay. So I had texted it, heard no response for like ten minutes, and then went and I got it myself. We must have missed each other. By, like, a minute at this place. So, I'm waiting. You did not confirm that you were doing this until you had already done it 10 minutes later. It was too late. It was just too late. It was not great communication on producer Christine's part. Well, and when did I – am I supposed to be your food person on no. top of your producer? No. And was, you also, I was being nice. I did it for you. And you also got me something else I'd asked for from a different store. I don't know if we could be best friends anymore. I'm not usually this – sort of demanding in terms of please go get this, please go get that. I was just running behind today because I had to do a lot of writing at townhall.com in the hotel. And by the way, I was expecting to get over here super fast because I'm a block away. The tourists are everywhere. You can't get anywhere. And they're slow moving. They're stopping, taking photos constantly, which is fine. Good for the economy. Glad to see them back. It was depressing in this city around Christmas two years ago. I prefer this. But even getting one block, it's like you need advanced time planning. So my message is, Christine has been very helpful today on multiple fronts. I just needed a confirmation before I then went and spent an additional unnecessary $9.48. However, it's been, as I said, put to good use. The second chili repurposed. And the second Coke Zero, like... It's not going to waste, let's be honest. Oh, no, that will be consumed probably within two hours from right now. So it was actually a happy accident because you treated your engineer to a nice turkey chili. It's very good, thank you. You're welcome. I still had to pay for my own lunch. In fact, I'm going to say, I'm going to take, this is like out of Seinfeld and the soup dinner. I'm going to take credit for your soup. So you're welcome for my generosity. Okay. Dan... And then Christine just had a miscommunication with me from my suit. Something is happening today, and it's not good. And Cookie ain't happy. And I want – well, you're all welcome. How about that? I will say that this makes up for one of your five spills from last weekend. Is that fair? Do you accept that gift? I, oh, I do. Okay. So I do. I'm just being so generous today. There's just so much generosity. You know what? It's Christmas time. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, one and all. How did we get? Oh, I know why. I know why we're talking about this. We're talking about the group text chain. That's what happened. On the group text chain last night, which is how I tried to start this stupid segment, Christine sent us a screenshot of a product that I did not know existed. But this product is, I, like, I was wondering, like, did she invent this? Did she write the company and come up with this herself? Because if you could ever micro-target a specific item to one human being, it's this, and it's producer Christine. What is it, Christine? It's the box of wine inflatable for outside for the holiday time for Christmas decorating. <laughs> I mean, I honestly, nothing speaks to me more than this. Would it you is say? a Christmas lawn inflatable. Of Franzia boxed wine. <laughs> can I tell it's you? It's perfect. Did can you I get tell it? you something? Bobby really wanted to go buy a box of wine to bring last weekend to the party. 
Well, he didn't. So you saved some money, perhaps to be put toward this new inflatable. That's true. Although we did bring a very, I hope you save it for New Year's, a very fancy champagne. We did see that. We're very excited it's about a good that. One. Yeah. But um, I, I mean, listen. I'm you don't have open. a house anymore. You don't have a lawn to put the Boxo wine on. I can put it on my patio. Is it that small? It looked pretty big. My, it could fill up the patio. I haven't decorated the back yet. Okay, you could do that. Or how about this? Why don't you inflate it as, like, you know in those commercials, I think it's Lexus, people come out on Christmas morning from their giant mansions, and it's snowing, and everything's perfect, and they're in their pajamas, and they've got their hands over their eyes, and then surprise, and they open, there's a giant bow on a brand new car. How about you do that to Judgy Joyce, but it's a Boxo Franzia inflatable on her lawn? She would not be happy. Definitely wouldn't be calling me a blessing. I'm telling you that right now. She would. <laughs> oh, I would have to record it. But can I tell you something uh-huh. about that? Yes, um, you may. Car. First of all, that would be a dream. Not my first dream. We all know my first dream. Do we? Yeah. Dark bar. Bright. Oh, oh. well, that's different than a dream. No, I haven't done it. So, like, I think about it a lot. I do. That was just what you wanted to do when the pandemic ended. That's oh, not no, like no, your dream. I still want to do it now. You know what? Let me be generous one more time. You're going to you're going to do it with me. Well, no, I was going to get you a brand new Lexus, but instead, because it's wow. second down on your list, instead, I will even more generously based on your definition, I will pay for one drink for you in a dark bar on a sunny day. I mean, that's right down the street anywhere in New York City. That's here. right. Like that's any right. place. I'm just sort of mystified that she's like, "Well, yes, getting a brand new car on Christmas would be great, but what I really want is a, is day drinking in a dark bar. But go on. I think that commercial is not realistic. I have very, very strong opinions about that commercial. It's not realistic at all. Do you know how many fights would happen outside in the driveway if a husband made that purchase without consulting his wife? Well, I think but now that we're on this topic, now that I'm thinking about this, overall, I would agree. However, you look at the types of houses that these people are coming out of, there are not fights or concerns about money in these houses. These are rich people buying Lexi on a whim and buying a giant bow to put on top of it, by the way. That thing's got to cost hundreds of dollars unto itself. So I think for an average American family, like, surprise, I bought a car with no input. It would be like, you did what? I think for these well-to-do, well-heeled Christmas families, it's just like, oh, wonderful, Let's put it in the garage before we go on our private jet to the Bahamas for New Year's. I think that's sort of the vibe that they're going for. Well, it's like probably their fifth or sixth car anyways. So that's right, at least. Matter. Right, yeah. it's a December to remember. Bum, 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 bum. I feel like, what would Bobby's version of this be? Like, here's a 2004 Corolla for you, Cookie. It's less than 100,000 miles on it. No, I think... The appropriate version of this for you would be, all right, open your eyes, surprise, Merry Christmas, and it's a pony. We all know how that would end. We would have another true crime story here on The Guy Benson Show. If you haven't heard our true crime story, The Spill, go back earlier in the week for our multi-part series on that spill at the Christmas party. Enjoy it. Bonus Benson over the weekend. It'll be in there as well, I guarantee you that. GuyBensonShow.com. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Have a great weekend. Back here on Monday from D.C. back home. It's the Guy Benson Show.
I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.